Welcome to Time Out with Troy on 101.9 FM. Hello everyone and welcome to episode or show number 11 of Time Out with Troy. I am your host Troy Langstaff. Today on the show, me and myself and I will be speaking to you for 29 and a half minutes straight. Yes, only me. There was no interview. I didn't conduct an interview this week and I chose for some odd reason not to bring on a guest host. Um, we'll see how it goes. I haven't done a show by myself in a while, but it was a very, very busy week in sports and I'm excited to you know, talk about some of the stuff that happened over the last week. So the first thing that we will be talking about, we're going to keep things local and I'm going to talk about four overagers for the Kingston Frontenacs that unbeknownst to them, this was their last season with the team and their games that they played last March or before then for some of the players was the last game that they were ever going to play in the OHL. We'll start with those four players and then we'll move into some North American sports. We'll talk about the NWHL season. They finished up their Isabel Cup playoffs and championship game this past weekend with the semifinals and the finals. They had to sort of cancel that season or postpone the end of that season back in March. They had a bubble over in Lake Placid, but there were some positive COVID tests and they had to postpone that. And then after that, we'll get into the NCAA men's ice hockey tournament and the Frozen Four, and then some March Madness men's and women's tournaments, which is still going on and will be completed this weekend. But before we get into that, on this day in sports history, all the way back in 1985, was the 47th edition of the NCAA Men's Men's Basketball Championship, and it was the championship game between Villanova versus Patrick Ewing and the Georgetown Hoyas. Villanova came out on top. They were the heavy underdogs going into that game. The Wildcats were, and they shot an incredible 60, or sorry, shot an incredible 78. 0.6% from the field that game en route to a 66 to 64 victory. So as I mentioned, the first topic of the day are the overage players for the Kingston front. Next we'll start. I have two defensemen and two goaltenders. We'll start off for, with one of the D men who I'm sure if you're a front next fan, you know exactly who this guy is. Jacob Rahaney, the defenseman from Hastings, Ontario, the 22-year-old, was fourth in scoring on the Frontenacs last season, was the highest-scoring D-man on the team, and, just a quick stat, finished 10 points behind Jamie Drysdale, who, if you're not aware, went sixth overall to the Anaheim Ducks in last year's draft. So that's just showing how offensive Brahaney was this past season. He grew up playing with the Quinty Red Devils. He's very familiar with the Quinty and Kingston area. He also spent half a season with the Kingston Voyagers of the OJHL when he was 16, and he spent a full four seasons with the Frontenacs, like I mentioned earlier. He was captain last year. He was the assistant captain the year before, and he was heavily relied upon all the way back in the 2018 playoffs when the Fronts went to the Eastern Conference Finals before bowing out in five games to the eventual OHL champions, the Hamilton Bulldogs. In his, in Brahaney's, OHL career, he scored 15 goals, 95 points, and just over 260 OHL games, like I mentioned, all with Kingston. And his 262 career games played are the second most in franchise history by a defenseman, falling only one game behind Taylor Doherty, who played 263. Jacob Rahaney committed 
to Queens University this past summer is going to play for the men's hockey team, the Gales. Queens has had a very good hockey program over the last, you know, five or six years. They've been in and out of success, I guess you could say. Last year, they bat out in the first round of the playoffs. The year before that, they were the OUA champs. The year before that, out in the quarters. But the year before that, an OUA silver. So if they were to follow that trend this season, they would have been meddling, but I guess not. We'll see how that goes next year. We wish Jacob the best of luck with the Gales on his uh, new hockey adventure with, with Queens. So yeah, moving on to one of the, the next players, we'll go to one of the goaltenders, Christian Prop, the 22-year-old from Oakville, Ontario, appeared in 28 games with the Frontenacs last season. He was traded midway through the year, and then... Kingston sort of found themselves with a surplus of goalies, which led to one of the other goalies that I'm going to talk about being traded or let go from the team. In Prop's OHL career, he played you know just over a season with the Barry Colts, two seasons with North Bay, and 14 games played for the Sioux Greyhounds last season, and then, like I mentioned, finished the year off playing 28 games with Kingston. Over his five seasons in the OHL, he played in 162 games and had 62 wins. In an interview with the Kingston Wig Standard this past November, he said, quote, It was an honor to play in this league. I was very fortunate to play for five years and to be associated with four teams and four great communities. It's something I'll cherish for the rest of my life, end quote. He is also continuing his hockey career into the OUA. He committed to the Wilfrid Laurier Golden Hawks this past summer. Laurier also has a a half-decent hockey program. They haven't missed the playoffs since 2015, although they have zero series wins. But again, wishing Christian, Christian the best of luck on this new hockey adventure in the OUA. We'll go back to the defenseman, the second defenseman that I'm here today to talk about is Nick King. 22-year-old from Kitchener, Ontario. All these guys all these guys are 22, by the way. Anyways, he's 22 from Kitchener, Ontario. He was assistant captain for the France last year, played in 48 games, putting up 25 points. And he also played for more than one team in his, in his OHL career, played for Owen Sound North Bay in Kingston over his four years in the O, put up 89 points in 217 OHL games. And he is also continuing his hockey career in the OUA, committed to the University of Waterloo. He played minor hockey with the Waterloo Warrior, or sorry, Waterloo Wolves AAA teams and then went on to play for the Waterloo Siskins of the GOJHL. That's Junior B. And normally you don't really see guys play a season or two of Tier 2 Junior Hockey before moving on to the OHL, but that's what Nick did. He had lots of success at both both levels, and then he's continuing his hockey career. Um, in his hometown or home area. He also said in that same um, article this past November, he said, quote, it'll be nice to be home for the next four or five years, end quote. Um, Waterloo has had their struggles in OUA men's hockey. I'm not I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I'm going to bring up the facts. They've had their struggles, but I'm, like Nick said, it'll be, it'll be nice for him just to be home for the next uh, four or five years. So the last player here is a player that I'm actually very familiar with, having done play-by-play for the Pickering Panthers the last two seasons. Brendan Bonello uh, from Mississauga, Ontario. Just turned 22 today, actually, in terms of the birthdays. So happy birthday, Brendan. Uh, he spent five seasons in the OHL, 96 games played. 
He ended last year uh, with the Pickering Panthers Junior A squad, like I mentioned. He led the league. He was lights out when Pickering got him. He came over from uh, Kingston. It was very clear because he had his whole setup, his pads and his blocker was the yellow and black with the Kingston logo. Didn't change that all year, which is pretty funny because it didn't really go with go well with the maroon uh, colors of the Panthers. But anyways, he was lights out, like I said, led the league in save percentage with a 9.46 save percentage, 1.86 goals against average, and went 19-5-1 with five shutouts, leading Pickering to their first division title in 21 years. And just like the other three guys before him, he's also committed to an OUA squad. He's heading to Toronto to play for the York University Lions. York has missed the playoffs in the last two years. However, they were OUA champs back in 2017. York is one of those teams that's that's very unpredictable. They're either first or second in the conference or missing the playoffs or just barely making them, squeezing in at that, that eighth uh, seed. But anyways, Brendan, we wish you yeah, the best of luck along with uh, Nick, Jacob, and Christian. Thanks for your time spent in Kingston, and good luck in this new hockey adventure. Staying with the hockey theme, but moving over to the States, like I mentioned, the National Women's Hockey League finished up their season this past weekend with the two semifinal matchups and then the Isabel Cup final. So the first semifinal, I'll just just take you through the games that took place, I guess, and go over what happened in those games, you know, the sort of the, the game stories. So the first semifinal was between the number four seed Boston Pride and the number one seed Toronto Six in their inaugural season. So Boston was was all over Toronto in this game. They ended up winning six to two, but this is sort of what happened. Um, Boston sort of took over in the second half of the first, and over an eleven minute stretch, they outscored Toronto four to one. That was over the course of two periods, but they outscored them four to one. Their two goals, they had two goals in 31 seconds at the beginning of the second period to stretch their lead to 4-1. They never really looked back from there. Boston had 11 players with at least one point, five players with two points, and Toronto 6 goaltender Elaine Chuli sort of struggled in net, allowing five goals on 21 shots as Boston, like I mentioned, took that one by a score of 6-2. In the second semifinal, this was even more of a blowout than the first one. The Minnesota Whitecaps took on the Connecticut Whale. It was a close game going into the second period. Minnesota was up 2-0, and then they scored two goals in 35 seconds early in the second period to extend their lead. And also, like Boston, they never looked back from that point. Audra Audra Richards led the team with three goals. And one assist and Kingston native 26-year-old Amanda Levier with a 44-save shutout. Absolutely insane. She's one of the best uh, women's goaltenders actually probably in the world right now. She was a three-time NCAA champ with the University of Minnesota. She's already won two Isabel Cups and she's only 26 years old. But moving on to, I believe it was Saturday, the semifinal and final were... Uh, back-to-back days they didn't have a day off but in the final it was Boston versus Minnesota this was a very exciting game I'm not going to tell you the final right now I'm just going to take you through the game story so maybe I'll you know create some excitement through through reading these uh, notes here but anyways after the first period we'll just skip through the first it was one nothing Minnesota after 20 minutes Boston exploded for a three goal second period and the third period is where it got very, very exciting. 
So seven and a half minutes into the third period, Amanda Boulier, a Whitecaps defender, there was sort of a scramble out in front of the Minnesota net. Amanda Boulier jumped on the puck and put her hand on the puck inside the crease, which is actually going to result in a delay game penalty shot for Boston. So Tori Sullivan of the Boston Pride came in on this penalty shot, made a nice backhand forehand move, but Levier stuck her pad out and made a gorgeous toe save. Okay, so it's still a one-goal game at this point. Or sorry, a two-goal game at this point. Right now it's 3-1 Boston and stays 3-1 with that penalty shot save. However, after that penalty shot, because there was no goal, the faceoff is still in the Minnesota zone. So Minnesota wins this faceoff, and Jonah Curtis and one of her teammates streak into the Boston zone. It's a two-on-two, and Curtis spots a trailing Allie Thunstrom, who snipes her second goal of the game to make it 3-2. From the drop of the puck to that goal was eight seconds long. So we're going to fast forward 10 minutes later. It is now 4-2 Boston, and there's two and a half minutes left in the game. One of the players on the Pride takes a checking from the checking from behind five-minute major and a game misconduct. So Boston is now short a player for the remainder of that game, and they're up by two goals. Minnesota pulls the goalie for a six-on-four, and Megan Pizon manages to pot one with 19 seconds left, but that's all they can muster up as Boston goes on to win their second Isabel Cup and first since the inaugural NWHL season in 2016. If you're interested in watching this game, I highly recommend it. It was a lot of fun to watch, at least from the second period on. You can, those games are, were recorded and you can watch them on Twitch. That's where they stream the game as well as on NBCSN in the States. But you just go to Twitch. It's twitch.com slash NWHL. Twitch.com slash NWHL. And you could go there. And I believe the semifinal games are on there as well. But you can watch all those games. The broadcast was great. The replay was good. So a lot of fun stuff there. Moving on to some college hockey, NCAA Division I Men's Ice Hockey Championships, the, fro- the Frozen Four has now been decided. They started out with 16 teams in their 16-team uh, tournament there. We're down to four teams. Both games, both Frozen Four games are a week from today, actually, on April the 8th. And these matchups are the Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs versus the University of Massachusetts Minutemen. This is a rematch of last year's final. Minnesota won that game 3 to nothing, And this is sort of what's um, at stake, I guess. For I'll go through what's at stake and how these teams got to where they are. So Minnesota Duluth, they had a bye in their first game because they were supposed to play Michigan, but Michigan had to withdraw from the tournament due to some positive COVID tests. And then Minnesota Duluth upset the number one overall seeded North Dakota 3-2 in quintuple overtime. Quintuple overtime. That game went to five overtimes. They almost played three full hockey games before Minnesota Duluth scored to win that one 3-2. Minnesota Duluth, they're looking to go to their fourth straight championship game and looking to win their third straight title. So that's what's at stake for the Bulldogs and their opponent. University of Massachusetts played uh, Lake Superior State, beat them 5-1 in their first game, and then played Bemidji State and beat them 4-0. So they've outscored their opponents 9-1 going into their third game of the tournament. UMass, like I said, looking for their second straight championship game, but their first ever title they have yet to win. So that's what's on the line for them. In the second semifinal matchup, you have the we have the Minnesota State Mavericks 
gorgeous purple and black uniforms, might I add, versus the St. Cloud State Huskies. Minnesota, the Mavericks played Quinnipiac in their first game, beat them 4-3, and then beat the number three overall seed Minnesota Gophers, shut them out actually, 4-0, capping that game off with a bar down empty netter from center ice, courtesy of Dallas Garrods. What else would you expect from a guy named Dallas? Anyways, this is their first ever appearance in the Frozen Four. That'll be a very fun game to watch. St. Cloud State's been pretty good over the last few years, but they crushed Boston University. This is St. Cloud. Boston University 6-2, and then beat the number two overall seed, Boston College 4-1. This is their second ever Frozen Four appearance in school history. The last one coming back in 2013, where they lost 4-1 to Quinnipiac. So, just to reiterate, or sort of conclude, you have the Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs versus the UMass Minutemen, and the Minnesota State Mavericks versus the St. Cloud Huskies, and here are my predictions for those games. I'm not going to do any scores for the semifinal, but I have a score for the final. I'm going to take the University of Massachusetts Minutemen over the Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs in semifinal number one, okay? UMass over MD. In semifinal number two, I'm going to take St. Cloud State over Minnesota State. In the final, UMass versus St. Cloud State, I'm going to take University of Massachusetts Minutemen over St. Cloud State by a score of 4-2. to two. UMass, I think, is going to win their first ever title this year. It's eluded them over the last five or six years they had Kale McCarr for those that don't know plays for the Colorado Avalanche was a fourth overall pick a couple drafts ago carried them to this tournament a few years ago and that's sort of brought University of Massachusetts on the radar Um, and I think this they do it I think they close it out this year moving into some basketball though March Madness we'll start with the men's tournament the final four The first game, you have the Gonzaga Bulldogs versus UCLA Bruins. Gonzaga has absolutely dominated. They're undefeated this year. I think they're 30-0 now or 31-0. They've won every game this tournament by at least 16 points, looking for their first national championship and second appearance in the big game. Their first one came in 2017 in a loss to North Carolina. Here's what's at stake for the UCLA Bruins. They're the second team ever to go from the first four to the final four. For those that, for those of you that don't know what the first four is, it's sort of like a play-in game to get into the tournament. They're the sixth ever double-digit seed to reach the final four, and they're looking for their first title game appearance since 2006 and looking to win their first championship since 1995. As for the second semifinal matchup, you have the Baylor Bears, the number one seeded Baylor Bears versus a number two seed Houston Cougars. Baylor has, I think, quietly snuck in, not sort not snuck in, but quietly made their way to the final four. Their opponents have gotten steadily more challenging as the tournament has progressed. They beat Hartford by 24, beat Wisconsin by 13, beat Villanova by 11, and beat Arkansas by 9. I think this is going to be the best, this is obviously going to be the best team that they've played all tournament in the Houston Cougars. And listen to this stat here. The Baylor Bears are looking for their second ever title game appearance. Their first one came all the way back in 1948. As for Houston, their road to the Final Four has been a whole lot easier, probably the easiest 
actually, I guess by far the easiest out of the four teams that are left here. They've only faced double-digit seed teams. So they haven't really had a challenge. They haven't played a perfect game by any means up until this point. They're looking for their third title game appearance. Uh, Both appearances were losses in back-to-back years, actually, in 1984 and 85. So there we have it. We have the Baylor versus Houston and Gonzaga versus UCLA. These are my predictions. I'll come back to them next week. This was probably the easiest predictions I've ever done on this this series up until this point. I'm going to take Gonzaga over UCLA by a billion. I don't know what else to say. UCLA is no match for Gonzaga. They're going to roll over the Bruins on Saturday. I have Baylor over Houston. Like I said, Houston hasn't played a complete game. I don't think they're ready. Anyways, in the final, I have Gonzaga over Baylor. But I don't think I think it's going to be closer than the Gonzaga versus UCLA. So I took Gonzaga over UCLA by a billion. I have Gonzaga over Baylor in the final by a million. Um, we'll see what happens. Good luck to any team that has to play Gonzaga because if you can keep it within 15 points, you take that and run with it. Moving on to the women's side, also down to final four. The semifinal games going tomorrow. And the championship game is on Sunday. The time has yet to be determined. So in the first semifinal matchup, we have South Carolina versus Stanford. Both number one seeds. South Carolina's closest game this tournament was an 11-point victory over Oklahoma State in round two. South Carolina has one title, and it's pretty recent actually back in 2017 over Mississippi State. As for Stanford... Their Elite Eight game on Tuesday, they played the number six seed Texas Longhorns and held them to 32 points. Texas had seven points in the first quarter and zero in the fourth. That's how dominant Stanford was defensively in that game. Stanford, the Cardinals have two titles in their history back in 1990 and 1992. In the second Semifinal matchup there, or other Final Four game, we have the Connecticut Huskies versus Arizona. Going back on Monday, Connecticut played Baylor in their Elite Eight game. That was a very controversial win for the Huskies. So it was a two-point victory. It was like 64-62 to or 62-60 to or something like that. But Baylor had the ball with a few seconds left with a chance to tie the game. It was a heavily contested mid-range jumper. There was lots of contact from the defenders, one of those being the Kingston native, Aaliyah Edwards. Um, There's a lot of pictures on social media. There was lots of contact. There was no review and no foul call on the play. So if you're a Baylor fan, you're very upset about that. If you're a Connecticut fan, you're going to take it and run with it on your way to the final four as for the huskies program as a whole they're the most successful women's program in um college women's college basketball history (laughs) they have 11 titles the last coming in 2016 so it's been a down uh, four years for them normally in a five-year span they probably have two two or three titles i guess that's over the last you know 25 years or so as for Arizona, is this matchup couldn't be more opposite when it comes to the history of the two teams. Arizona, this is their first time in the tournament, in the 64-team tournament, in the bracket since 2005. 
The furthest they've ever made it was a Sweet 16. That only happened once back in 1998. So the Cardinals are sorry. So Arizona making some history in this year's tournament. We'll see what happens. We've seen upsets, but I'm not sure if a team's going to upset the Huskies. They've been very dominant. They have the reigning player of the year in Paige Beckers, the first freshman to win that award. And a very good team. Lots of depth on that team. But hey, crazier things have happened. We'll see what happens uh, this weekend on both the men's and women's side. We'll move on to some move on to some NHL news actually. I know there was a lot of uh, free agent there was a lot of moves in the NBA this week, but I don't have my NBA analyst John Spotton on this week to talk about it, so I'll stick with hockey, the sport that I know best, and we'll focus on as Jack Edwards, the play-by-play commentator for the Buffalo or the the play-by-play commentator for the Boston Bruins said the NHL's version of a dumpster fire. The Buffalo Sabres are on a 18, honestly, it could be up to 19 game losing streak. A couple of those games going to um, overtime. This Their most recent loss came to the Philadelphia Flyers. Buffalo had a three goal lead heading into the third period they were up three to nothing and Philadelphia tied it with about a minute and a half left but it was crazy because I was watching the game because I knew it was at stake for the Sabres and I just talked about this in one of my other podcasts with some of my classmates and one of the Buffalo players I think it was Tage Thompson had the puck at center ice and he was being defended heavily and poked it towards the empty net because Philly had pulled their goalie and it missed the net by about a foot so that's how close Buffalo was to ending their, I think at the time, was 17-game losing streak. And then Philly comes back and ties the game and, and wins it in overtime. So this has been brutal, but on the bright side for one of the players, or I guess some of the players, we'll start with one of them, Eric Stahl, just a couple days after that loss, or I don't, it might not even have been a full day, was traded to the Montreal Canadiens for a couple draft picks. So, you know, cheers to him for finally getting out of that city. Uh, we all know it's it's pretty, I think it's safe to say that Jack Eichel is going, is also going to be moved. Jeff Skinner might also be moved. Honestly, the whole, the all, all a lot of the all-stars on that team, obviously not this year, um, in Taylor Hall, who's a former MVP, Jack Eichel, Jeff Skinner, um, are probably also going to be moved. We'll see if Buffalo goes into a complete rebuild and throws all these guys away. But honestly, it's simply not even fair to to have to you know leave them here. Jack Eichel has about five years left on his contract, and then if you you leave him on that team through those five years, and then he goes in the free agency, he's walking anyway. So it's just not fair to him to to keep him with this lousy team. But that's gonna do it for time. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see what happens in the both NCAA tournaments basketball tournaments uh, this coming weekend it's a very busy week in sports and moving into april too one of the busiest months in sports with the start of baseball i know the masters are coming up next weekend as well and then we have like i said the completion of the march madness tournaments the frozen four is also concluding next week so busy busy week in sports i guess this means that i'll have lots to talk about next week too and maybe if i do continue decide to continue the podcast uh, April's going to be a busy month, but we'll end it with an on this day in history back in 1990. We'll keep with the March Madness theme. The women's 
uh, basketball championship game, the ninth NCAA tournament for the women's side. Stanford, one of the teams in the Final Four, beat Auburn by a score of 88-81. to This was actually Auburn's third straight loss in the championship game. Stanford's first of two championships. I actually mentioned that earlier. Stanford was led by legendary head coach Tara Vanderveer at the time. She was the head coach of the USA women's Olympic team at the 95 Olympics in Atlanta when they won gold. So there you have it. I kept with the basketball theme for both on this day in history. Stay tuned for next week. I'm interested to see what I do for the next week's show. Maybe I'll have on a couple friends to sort of close it out and close out the timeout with Troy and my university career so it's been a lot of fun as i mentioned for the last 11 weeks to sit here and talk to you guys about what's going on in the sports world and the kingston sports world as well and i got to learn a lot of things with all my guests and the events and the things that are going on in their lives as well so thank you guys so much for listening take care everyone